Well, if you've been here regularly over the last uh, few couple of months, you'll know we've been going through this lovely prayer together, which we call the Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to begin by reading it to you, just in case you don't remember it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the last bit I'm going to say is not in the NIV, but it is in some texts. For yours is the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus invites us to pray. Jesus invites us to pray our Father. So am I wondering this morning how going on a journey through this prayer has changed the way you pray? Or how you approach your prayer life? Or maybe how you think about prayer. How has going on a journey through this prayer changed the way you think about God and you and your loving Heavenly Father? I'm wondering what differences that have made to you or is making to you to understand Jesus' invitation to come to our Father when you pray. See, our Father is so very important, so very important. Who is it, friends, that you think you are praying to? Seems to me, and this might just be me, but my best best guess is it's not just me, is that so many of our problems with prayer are to do with two things. Firstly, who we think God is, and secondly, who we think we are in relation to who God is. Mo gets it. Carlton Hayes, a magnificently chiseled athlete in his early 20s, six foot three, 185 pounds, bounces on a trampoline, flashing his irresistible bright waist smile. A crowd has gathered. He switches to, to a skipping rope, a dazzling display of coordination, agility, and grace. The onlookers cheer. Praise God, the athlete shouts. Meanwhile, Mo, one of the retinue of his attendants, approaches with a glass of Gatorade. In his early 50s, Mo is five foot four and paunchy. He wears a rumpled suit, shirt open at the collar, tie askew. Mo has a thinning sliver of matted hair extending from his temples to the back of his head where it disappears in a clump of grey-black hair. The little attendant is unshaven. His bulbous jowls and one glass eye cause the spectator's eyes to dart away. Pathetic little twerp, one man says. Just an obsequious starstruck hanger-on, another adds. Mo is neither. His heart is buried with Christ in the Father's love. He moves unselfconsciously through the crowd and extends the greater aid gracefully to the hero. He is as comfortable as a hand in a glove with his servant role. That is how Jesus first revealed himself to Mo and transformed his life. Mo feels safe with himself. That night, Carlton Hayes will deliver the main address at the banquet of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes who are attending from all 50 states. 
He will also be honored with the Waterford Crystal Cup as the first eight-time Olympic gold medalist. 5,000 people gather at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Glitterati from the world of politics, sport, and show business are scattered throughout the room. As Hayes steps to the podium, the crowd is just finishing a sumptuous meal. The speaker's address abounds with references to the power of Christ and unabashed gratitude to God. Hearts are touched. Men and women weep unashamedly. They give a standing ovation. But behind the glossy delivery, Carlton's vacant stare reveals that his words do not inhabit his soul. Stardom has eroded his presence with Jesus. Intimacy with God has faded into the distance. The whispering of the Spirit has been drowned out by the deafening applause. Buoyed by the success and the roar of the crowd, the Olympic hero moves from table to table. He ingratiates himself with everyone, from waiters to movie stars. Back at the Red Roof Inn, Mo eats his frozen TV dinner alone. He was not invited to the banquet at the Ritz-Carlton because, quite honestly, he just wouldn't fit in. Surely it wouldn't be fitting for a pot-bellied, glass-eyed, twerpy attendant to pull up a chair with the likes of Ronald Reagan, Charlton Heston, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mo sits down at the table in his room and closes his eyes. The love of the crucified Christ surges within him. His eyes fill with tears. Thank you, Jesus, he whispers as he peels the plastic top off his microwaved lasagna. He flips to Psalm 23 in the Bible. Mo sits comfortably before God, who God is and who he is in God. There is no pretense, there is no guilt, there is no sense of needing to earn God's love. There is no drive for success that leads him to believe that he has to perform in God's presence. He is not concerned by what he thinks he must do to be acceptable to God. He is not worried about his appearance or how he might appear to God. Mo comes to the presence of God fully immersed in the truth that God cannot love him more than he already does. He comes to the presence of God immersed in the truth that there is nothing he can do that will cause God to love him any less. He comes to the presence of God immersed in the truth that he does not need to impress God with words or posture or dress or action. He comes to the presence of God immersed in the truth that he is the beloved of his Father in heaven. Mo comes to the presence of God, a poor show by the standards of this world. He is in truth not good looking, attractive, or a physical specimen that impresses in the eyes of others. He is not in truth talented in any way by the standards of this competing world. He knows that in truth, in the judgment of those who make the rules, he has little to offer on the ladder of success. But Mo is comfortable in himself. And Mo is comfortable in himself because Mo is comfortable in God, his heavenly Father. Mo is not looking for and does not need the applause of those around him because Mo is comfortable in the company of the one who loves him because he loves him, because he loves him, because he loves him, because he loves him. And for Mo, prayer is an invitation from his heavenly Father to enjoy his Father's presence. That same invitation your loving Heavenly Father extends to you, friends.
This is the story of a priest named Edward Farrell, who comes from Detroit. Edward Farrell went on his two-week summer vacation to Ireland. His one living uncle was about to celebrate his 80th birthday. On the great day, the priest and his uncle got up before dawn and dressed in silence. They took a walk along the shores of Lake Killarney and stopped to watch the sunrise. Standing side by side with not a word exchanged and staring straight into the sun. Suddenly the uncle turned and went skipping off down the road. He was radiant, beaming, smiling from ear to ear. His nephew said, Uncle Seamus, you look really happy. I am, lad. Want to tell me why? His 80-year-old uncle replied, yes. You see, my Abba is very fond of me. My Abba is very fond of me. What a gift to be able honestly, authentically to say those words. How many of us, I wonder, can truly, honestly say these words and believe them with all our heart that they are true? My Abba is so very fond of me. I'm guessing there's a few stomachs churning right now. You're quite happy to say that for the person sitting next to you. And I can tell because a lot of your eyes have gone to the floor. <laughs> My Abba is very fond of me. I wonder if in truth my version is something closer to this. My Abba is very fond of me when I preach a truly good sermon. Or maybe, my Abba is very fond of me, sometimes. Or maybe, my Abba is very fond of me when I am at my best. Truth is, I have a hard time grasping and believing and living in the truth that causes an 80-year-old priest to go skipping down the road and say, my Abba is so very fond of me. And yet, and yet it is this Abba who is the one to whom Jesus invites us to pray. Which begs the question, if I am finding it hard to pray, who is it I think I'm praying to? In my best moments, I can honestly come to prayer being able to get close at least to saying, my Abba is so very fond of me. But in my worst moments, I really struggle even to think those words, let alone say them. My problem, I have come to realize, is that I put way too much emphasis on me and how I feel as I approach prayer. Whereas the point of the whole thing it is that is the Abba who is so very fond of me, who wants more than anything for me to come to him and pray. You know, if I could grasp that, praying would become a whole different experience and a delight. You know, we don't like praying out loud, some of us, because we're worried about what the people around us are going to think about what we say. Well, you're not praying to us. 
and the Abba is so very fond of you, is there longing that you pray? He doesn't really care what you say. You know, as parents, when children say it and they get all the words in the wrong order and they miss it completely, but you know what they mean, does it matter? No. In fact, when they're little children, you want them to do it more and more. You encourage them to do it. Don't worry about getting the words right. Don't worry about using the correct word, the posh word, the technical word. Don't even worry about getting the grammar right. Just talk to me. And yet we don't do that with our Heavenly Father, do we? Often. Mostly. Why is it that we struggle so much to come to pray together? Well, I I think it's because of our image of who God is and who we are in God. It's my honest belief. I might be wrong, but it's my honest belief. I could come to prayer not solely focused on me and what I want, but because God is in a relationship that brings me joy. I could come to prayer without being worried about feeling good enough or feeling a failure because my Abba is so very fond of me. I could come to prayer because I am loved as I am in these very moments, whatever is actually going on in me and around me. The truth is the deep, profound, life-affirming and life-changing truth is my Abba is so very fond of me. And he's very fond of you too. However much some of you, like me, have a hard time believing that. It is deeply, wonderfully, and profoundly true. Our Father. How are you doing, friends? Abba, Father, the one who is so very fond of you. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At that time, Jesus of Nazareth came to Galilee and was baptized in the river Jordan by John. Just as Jesus was coming up after the water, he saw a heavenly being, sorry, heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Have you ever realized that you have something in common, something wonderful in common with Jesus himself? Paul, in those words I just read to you from Romans, reminds us powerfully that God's love for us reaches to us in the depth of the mess of who we really are. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have done nothing that could possibly earn God's favor or God's love. That's the truth of that statement. But God's love is so big and so great that he loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. At Jesus' baptism, words from his heavenly Father are spoken. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but they are extraordinary words simply because they come at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
We might expect his father to say those words as Jesus is on the cross at the end of his ministry, having accomplished everything that God wanted him to do, or maybe following Jesus' own words on the cross when he says, it is finished. God might then say, yeah, well done, I am well pleased. But the father speaks these words to his son before he's done anything at all. Perhaps another way of saying this is this. This is my son, and I am so very fond of him. Truth is, our heavenly Father loves you and me in exactly the same way, with exactly the same love that he loves his one and only son, Jesus. Roughly translated, that means he looks down this morning and says, this is my son and my daughter with whom I am well pleased. I once wrote on a textbook, I got myself muddled up, I was marking books at school and I sometimes would write good work and I'd sometimes well done and I wrote on one book well good and I thought oops but I really like that Jesus looks down and says well good you are well good you are my son and my daughter and with you I am well pleased I am so very fond of you Jesus fully and completely understands the depth and breadth and height and length of his Father's love and he leaves all the glory of heaven to dwell on the earth. And he demonstrated the depth and breadth and height and length of the Father's love when he healed the sick, he touched the leper, he sat with the unlovely, he met with the widow and the orphan, he loved the broken and the hurting, the cheat and the thief, the proud and the tough. And one day on a hillside, in the company of upwards of 15,000 men, women, and children, Jesus broke bread at a picnic. In that moment, everybody present knew and understood what he was doing and what it meant. For in Jesus' day, the host of a meal would break bread at the start of a meal as a way of saying to everyone present, you are most welcome at my table. Jesus is telling these ordinary people on a hillside one afternoon that they are welcome and loved in the kingdom of the heavens, that his father is very fond of them. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. In celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus tells them in the same way as the host of the meal that they are very welcome in the kingdom of the heavens. He is also telling them that like the bread is broken at this meal as a sign of a welcome, his body will be broken as the means by which people will receive saving grace. And he tells them to break bread often together to remember the depth and breadth and height and length of his Father's love. And to remember that because of his sacrifice of his broken body on the cross, they are welcome in the kingdom of the heavens. Because his heavenly Father is so very fond of them. Whenever, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you eat this bread which you break together, remember above all that your Abba is so very fond of you. So now in the light of this wonderful, powerful and challenging truth, we are going to celebrate this meal together. This is how we're going to do it this morning. The invitation is to come to Abba, Father, who is so very fond of you.
the invitation is to bring yourself just as you are. You don't have to impress. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you do. It actually doesn't matter how you're feeling, but you bring that with you. It actually doesn't matter what mistakes you might have already made this morning. It doesn't matter what mistakes you might make as you go into the rest of today. Your Abba is so very fond of you. And you bring yourself in the knowledge and the confidence of your Abba's great and magnificent love for you with whom he is well pleased. So why not take your Heavenly Father at his word this morning? For on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. In doing that, he said, you are welcome at my table. Yes, you. However you come this morning, you. I am very fond of you. Yes, you. After supper, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink this all of you. This is the extent of my great and magnificent love in all its depth, breadth, height and length. So in these moments this morning now, God extends that invitation to you to come to him, your Abba. And you can bring yourself just as you are, with no need to impress, no need to consider yourself a failure, because your Abba is so very fond of you.